Greetings, and welcome back to the High Score Report, presented by Portland State University's Vanguard. As always, I'm your host, Connor, and thank you for joining me. This is Episode 3, The Docket and the Donald. We're going to take a look at what the upcoming Supreme Court docket is looking like, but first let's take a look at what the highest court in the land had to say about the former president, Donald J. Trump. Former President Donald Trump has been a private citizen for little more than a month, but the Supreme Court just officially denied his final effort to overturn the 2020 election, although it did so over the protest of three justices. Additionally, the court announced that it will not prevent Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. from obtaining Trump's tax records as part of a long-standing criminal investigation into Trump's business. The court's decision not to intervene in this case about Trump's financial records, Trump v. Vance, is not surprising. In that case, Trump's lawyers argued that the former president was entitled to absolutely sweeping immunity from criminal investigation while in office, at one point claiming that a sit-in president cannot be the subject of a criminal probe even if he shoots someone on a public street. However, the Supreme Court already rejected this sweeping immunity argument once in a decision handed down in last July. And now Trump is no longer the sitting president, so his already very weak arguments are now even weaker. The court also announced that it will not hear two consolidated election cases on Monday, and its decision not to hear these cases, Republican Party of Pennsylvania v. DeGraff and Reed and Corman v. Pennsylvania Democratic Party, is not all entirely surprising. The cases ask whether a small number of Pennsylvania absentee ballots that arrived after Election Day should be counted. But because these ballots will not change the result of any federal election writ large if they are tossed out, the two Pennsylvania cases are rendered essentially moot. What is surprising is that three justices, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Neil Gorsuch, all conservatives, all voted to hear these two Pennsylvania cases. These three justices' votes show that the court's right flank is essentially champing at the bit to dismantle one of the foundational premises of the American election law premise. Now, the immediate impact of the court's decision to not hear the two Pennsylvania cases is that Trump and the Republican Party's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election will not necessarily receive a hearing in the Supreme Court, and they appear to be rendered dead at this point. But the three dissenting votes in these Pennsylvania cases suggest that a larger battle of sorts uh, over who gets to set the rules for the American elections is very much alive. Now, without getting too granular, uh, the, the Pennsylvania cases, uh, 
both involve something known as the independent state legislature doctrine, a doctrine that the Supreme Court has repeatedly rejected at multiple points throughout its history. But that is now embraced by at least four members of the court's Republican majority. The Constitution provides that, quote, the times, places, and manners of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, end quote. A separate constitutional provision provides that, quote, each state shall appoint members of the Electoral College in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, end quote. Proponents of the independent state legislature doctrine claim that the word legislature, when used in this context at least, must refer to the legislative branch of government within a state itself, and thus the state's judiciary and the state's executive branch are both essentially forbidden to shape the rules governing federal elections within said state. As... Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote in an opinion last fall, quote, the Constitution provides that state legislatures, not federal judges, not state judges, not state governors, not other state officials, bear primary responsibility for setting election rules, end quote. There are many problems with this interpretation of the Constitution, however. One of them is that the court has repeatedly rejected the independent state legislature doctrine. For more than a century, the Supreme Court understood the word legislature, as it is used in relevant constitutional provisions, to refer to, essentially, whatever valid lawmaking process is within that actual state. As the court held most recently in Arizona State Legislature v. Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission from 2015, the word legislature should be read, quote, in accordance with the state's prescriptions for lawmaking, which may include the referendum and the governor's veto, end quote. Should the new doctrine advanced by the court's right flank, as it's known, actually take hold, the implications are potentially breathtaking. It could mean, for example, that Democratic governors in states like, for instance, Pennsylvania or Wisconsin are forbidden from vetoing congressional redistricting bills, thus giving the Republican state legislature control over what is known as gerrymandering. It could mean that states are forbidden from drawing congressional districts under a nonpartisan commission on the theory that a commission is not part of the legislature itself and it could forbid state courts from enforcing the state's constitutional safeguards against gerrymandering itself and outright disenfranchisement because these courts are not part of the legislature. Now, it, it should be known that, indeed, the Pennsylvania cases involved just such a dispute between a Republican legislature and a state court. 
In the lead-up to Pennsylvania's 2020 election, the state Supreme Court held that mailed-in ballots that arrive up to three days after the election shall be counted. Republicans sued, claiming that the state courts do not actually have the power to set the state's election rules. Only the legislature can. As it turns out, the results of Pennsylvania's federal elections would not charge or change if these late arriving ballots are tossed out. So the case is yet again rendered moot. And while the majority did not explain why it actually decided to hear these cases, it is likely that this mootness problem was at the front of their minds. Yet, Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, and Alito all voted to hear the two Pennsylvania cases, despite the fact that there is no longer a live controversy among the parties in these cases, which is typically required within the Supreme Court rules for justiciability. In fact, Thomas's dissenting opinion argues that the court needs to, quote, provide clear rules for future elections, end quote. But the court's decision in the Arizona State Legislature case already set a clear rule rejecting the independent state legislature doctrine. The real dispute in these cases was whether the change that the long-standing rule that was already applied in that Arizona case. A fourth justice, Brett Kavanaugh, endorsed the independent state legislature doctrine in an opinion last October. Although he did not vote to hear the Pennsylvania cases now that the election is actually over, most likely because those cases are yet again rendered moot. The court's three liberal justices, plus Chief Justice John Roberts, have all signaled that they will not vote to impose the independent state legislature doctrine. So this just leaves Justice Amy Coney Barrett, a Trump appointee, as the one uncertain vote on the Supreme Court in the likely event that the independent state legislature doctrine comes back to the court in the future. The bottom line, in other words, is that while the Supreme Court just handed Trump a somewhat final round of defeat, a radical argument that could potentially have seismic consequences for U.S. democracy may still be in play. Now, to finish up today, I just wanted to give everyone a bit of an upcoming docket preview much of which will assuredly be quite interesting. So let's take a look at a few petitions of cert coming up for the Supreme Court of the United States. So this week, let's highlight some cert positions that ask the Supreme Court to consider, among other things, whether a black man's exposure to a racist epithet at work is sufficiently severe to constitute a hostile work environment in violation of the actual Civil Rights Act, whether a court can order a defendant to pay criminal restitution from facts not found by the jury, and whether the Clean Air Act preempts 
two counties attempt to challenge Volkswagen's emissions software under local anti-tampering laws. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination on the basis of race with respect to terms, conditions, or privileges of employment. Under Supreme Court precedent, an employee challenging a hostile work environment must show that an employer's conduct was, quote, sufficiently severe or pervasive, end quote. One extremely serious incident could qualify, but not a mere offensive utterance. Rather interesting as far as that's concerned. Collier v. Dallas County Hospital District involves the N-word etched into the side of an elevator that Robert Collier, a black man who worked as an operating room aide, used to access the hospital cafeteria. Collier reported the graffiti itself, but the word remained for six months. Collier also complained about two swastikas painted on the wall in a storage room and being called boy by a white nurse. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit ruled that the conduct did not establish a hostile work environment because the conduct was not, quote, physically threatening, end quote, and was not directed at Collier himself other than the nurse's comment and did not unreasonably interfere with his work performance. However, the Fifth Circuit recognized that other courts of appeals have allowed a jury to find a hostile work environment on the basis of one of the N-word. Collier's petition asks the justices to review and to reverse the Fifth Circuit's decision. In Gilbertson v. United States, a jury found Ryan Gilbertson guilty of manipulating the stock price of a company he co-founded. The government f- argued that Gilbertson's motive involved a compensation package that gave him a bonus on the stock's prices. The district court ordered Gilbertson to pay the $15 million he received in bonuses as restitution. In its findings of fact, however... The jury had not specifically considered the bonus beyond a reasonable doubt because the government never challenged the bonus itself as unlawful. In its petition, Gilbertson asks the justices whether a court's imposition of criminal restitution for an amount not found by the jury, if it actually violates the Sixth Amendment's jury right. In 2015, the Environmental Protection Agency released a notice of violation against Volkswagen and its software Defeat Devices, as it's known, which allowed its new diesel cars to emit higher levels of nitrogen oxides, which allowed under EPA regulations. In the aftermath, two counties challenged their Defeat Devices under local anti-tampering laws. The Clean Air Act, which gives the EPA authority to set and enforce emission standards for vehicles, also prohibits states and local governments from seeking to control emissions, quote, from new motor vehicles, end quote. 
Because of this language, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit ruled that the Clean Air Act preempted the county's challenge as to pre-sale software updates to the defeat devices themselves, but not to any post-sale updates. Among other arguments in its petition, Volkswagen maintains that the EPA standards govern the post-sale updates themselves, which relate back to the vehicle's origin designs, and that local anti-tampering laws are about mechanics or consumers interfering with emission designs. The case Volkswagen Group of America Incorporated v. Environmental Protection Commission of Hillsborough County, Florida, therein. There are several other cases being brought before the docket of the Supreme Court. For instance, Kong v. City of Burnsville, Minnesota, Collier v. Dallas County Hospital District, in another sense, and City of Austin, Texas v. Reagan National Advertising of Texas, Incorporated. Now, I want to thank all of you for joining me again. Um, next week, we are going to discuss a bit more in detail uh, about what the Donald Trump organization and the corporations therein are going to be facing as far as what to expect in their cases forthcoming. Now, thank you again for joining us. Uh, my name is Connor, as always. Please stay safe, stay six feet apart, and this is the Highest Court Report, signing off.